How's everyone doing? You guys having a good night? Excited to be here? I am excited to be with you. Um, guys, I feel like we've, we have an accomplishment. We have made it through um, all the way through our Philippian series. This is going to be the last night in the book of Philippians, and we're going to finish talking uh, here in chapter 4 tonight. And I just really want to encourage all of you. I, I hope that you have sensed and found joy in this moment and through this series, that that this has really impacted you because I'll just tell you, even as pastors, as we're preparing and we're getting ready to share the word of God, it, this shapes and molds us too, that, that we are not devoid or kind of immune to what God is doing in our, in the, our lives through the preparing to teach his word. And tonight we're going to be dealing with probably like one of the most famous Bible verses ever, Philippians 4.13. Probably half of the room has it tattooed on their body right now. And so, um, but I think we're going to see it in a great light. And we're going to see what God really intended for that and, and what that means. Um, but, you know, we're in this summer season and, and we're really moving forward in an incredible place. And I, it's kind of crazy to think, it, it's to, yeah, today's August 1st. So, you know, summer's almost over and, and school, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that. But we're in this season, we're in this time where... I don't know if you grew up doing this, but, but we did this a lot, especially in college. I don't know if you grew up road tripping. Anyone here road trip? In college, I had one goal on a road trip, right? So I went to Liberty University, and I still remember from my house to Liberty is 841 miles, okay? So I, I always knew, and it, it was supposed to take approximately 14 hours to drive, and my goal uh, when I would go on those road trips was to get from Florida or Virginia to the other place as quickly and efficiently as possible, right? I, I really did not enjoy the trip. I really was just about getting from where I was to where I wanted to be. And, you know, even as Kelsey and I, as we've had kids, everyone knows that road trips change when you have kids in the building, right? Like if when you got kids in the car, it's like the you everybody goes to the bathroom before you leave, right? I mean, you're like, this is the rule. Everyone's gonna visit the restroom, and I don't care if you gotta go or not. You're gonna try because we need to make some progress. Okay, we gotta get on the road and make this happen. And inevitably, the minute you get onto the interstate, someone's gonna say, "Hey, I've got an emergency, right? I gotta go to the bathroom." And, and so Kelsey and I, we kind of began to switch up the way that we road tripped. We started to really look at, hey, let's actually look at enjoying the journey, right? Like, yes, we want to get to Florida, we want to get to Virginia, wherever we're headed, but man, there's something to be done here, and there's something to happen in the middle. And I just, I don't know if you're like me, but you, you might be the quick road tripper, but I want to encourage us tonight to think through this life that we're living. And are you heading full force into your destination, or are you enjoying the journey? Uh, tonight, the title of the message is, You Can Actually Enjoy the Ride. You can actually enjoy what's happening. But, but how many of you know, like, there's highlights on your trip? One time, we were driving in Florida, and... Uh, it, it, my buddy Brad was driving, and we were in, uh, it was late at night, I think it was 2 a.m., and a deer ran into the side of our car. Not in front of the car, into the side of it. It was so scary. Like, his face hit the window next to me, and I was like, I think it was a demon! And he's like, oh my gosh! And we ran, we got out of there. We, it was a deer, he just got knocked out. He was fine. Um, I'm sure his face got, you know, have you ever tried to rub your face against like a glass window that's been Windex, it like pulls it? I'm sure he got his, his face got pulled. But what we decided to do and, and started to look at is, man, there's something really about the in-between in life. There, you know, most of your journey isn't spent where you started and where you end up. Most of the journey is spent in between. But there's some highs and lows in that journey, right? I mean, when you got to stop for the bathroom 20,000 times, that's a low point, okay? That, that, that is not a great part of the journey. But when your GPS says you're 10 minutes ahead of time, 
and you're speeding, it's, that's great. You're like, I am efficient and progressing, and this is good. Or you hit those lulls where you've listened to all the music on the Spotify playlist that you could possibly do, and then you get into some weird stuff, right? And you're like, okay, I might not make it through this, okay? But I think that that, that is an image for our lives. That there, look, on the journey of the destination of where we're trying to get, there's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows, but the majority of our life is lived in between. And I want to let you know and encourage you with this. You can enjoy that. That the journey that you're on in the life and the things that you're going to face in this life, you can have unshakable joy in the midst of the journey, no matter the circumstance that is approaching you. And as we talk about tonight and we get into Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 10 to 20, I want you to keep this idea in mind. And maybe I'm going to ask you a question just real quick as we begin about where you are. are you, can you just not wait to get to the end? I have to tell some of our, my, the college students that I teach, don't grow up so fast. You don't need a job right now. You, you, like, of course you need a job. But, like, don't become an adult too fast. You're never going to get this season back in your life. Even with your kids. <clears throat> Listen, raising kids is hard. All the parents are like, yeah. Right? They're like, yeah, some of these days are long days. But I have to remind myself, like, this is a part of the journey. And even though this might be a low point when your kids are being rebellious and going crazy, but it's also something that I may never get back. And so I want you to think about that tonight. And I want you to think about the fact that even though we haven't all arrived yet, you can enjoy the process. You can enjoy the ride that we're on. And so let's start here. And, and I got, we got to give a little bit of context, right? We, re, we remember what's going on with the Philippians. If you aren't sure about what's going on with the Philippians, they're in this time in the world where they are, that they're experiencing this persecution. They're experiencing some unpleasant kind of low times in their life. And in fact, Paul is writing to them from jail. Now, Paul didn't go to jail because he was shoplifting. Paul went to jail because he was preaching Christ to the world. And so they arrested him because to be a Christian at that time and what he was doing at that time was illegal, and he ends up getting arrested for it. And so this book about joy is written from a low place. And I don't know where you are in your journey right now, but maybe you're in a low place. And this book, as we've talked about this, is about this exceedingly abundant joy that you and I can have in the lowest of moments and in the highest of moments. That joy is about what's built on the inside. Happiness is circumstantial based upon what's happening on the outside. And so as we talk about this moment in time, I feel like this book for our church, this is the perfect moment for this book. But I want you to imagine for a second that you're Paul and you're writing to a group of people and you're in somewhat of a desperate situation. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. When you're in a low place, I just want to tell you something. When people care or when you show care towards people who are in a low moment, caring encourages people. Paul, at this moment, this, this dude named Epaphroditus, wasn't that just roll off the tongue, Epaphroditus? Some of y'all are like, I'm going to name my baby Epaphroditus. Okay, good luck, right? But listen, this guy shows up and he's giving Paul a gift in the midst of a moment where the Philippians are in a low place. That the Philippians, because of what they heard about going on with Paul, were giving sacrificially to the ministry that Paul was doing, which was the furthering of the gospel, and they themselves were in a low place. Could you imagine for a second 
how encouraging that would be that when you are in your lowest moment, maybe feeling lonely, abandoned, doubting, fearful, whatever it may be, that those whom you love reached out to you to send you a gift to help supply your need to get through that moment. Listen, caring encourages. Caring encourages. In fact, I want to challenge you right now with this. Is there somebody just right now as we're talking about this that you need to text or call or message, send an I, whatever it is, Facebook Messenger, a DM, whatever it needs to be, and you simply just need to say to them right now, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about where you are and what's going on. Has anyone in this place ever received something like that? If you're feeling that there is a person in your life that you need to reach out to, like right now, their name is, be obedient to the call of God on your life to reach out to them because God uses people to accomplish His will and you may be part of God's will to encourage that person in their darkest moment. They may be in a valley right now. So be obedient right now to the call of God to encourage someone. I won't be offended if you stop looking up here for a second to tell someone that you're thinking about them or that you care for them. But this word that Paul uses, concern, means an active interest. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm concerned about in the world right now, but I don't know if I have an active interest in it. What do I mean by that? When we have true concern and care for other people, or for ourselves, that concern should lead us to move. I hear a lot of times about people who say, I care about this or I care about that, but there's no movement in their life towards that thing. And so my question to all of us is, do we really care? See, care is this idea, this thing in our world that God has placed into us that drives us towards action. That what Paul says here is that you have kind of, you've gone into active interest that I'm going through something terrible. That's what that text message is. It's that active interest that you're showing and maybe some of you need to just hear that God is actively interested in you right now. That he sees right where you are in this moment and he is concerned, not as in fearful for what will happen to you, but because he loves you and cares exactly about right where you are right now. I don't know if someone needed to hear that, but this week I needed to hear that. That sometimes in that journey of life, we find ourselves in a valley and you feel totally alone. I'm here to tell you, you're not alone that God is with you, that God cares for you, and maybe you can be that person for somebody else. But what Paul says is that this this concern that you have for me, this care, has been revived. This is like a term, and what it means is a flower to bloom. That that's the language, the the Greek language is poetic. It, It gives imagery, especially Greek and Hebrew give this They're very vivid languages that give you images in your mind. So what the reader would say is like, your care for me has blossomed like a flower. That you have opened up concern for me, that it is actively moving forward. And in this moment, we have the opportunity to do something incredible. As I was preparing this message, I I let our team know about this, that we want to be a church that cares. We want to be a church that cares about our community and about the people in it. That I want to, we want to care about you and who you are, but we also want to care about those who are outside of our church because I believe that God has called the church to care for the world. And so I want to let you know about this opportunity where we have the ability to let our care move into action and to blossom and to show some people and possibly encourage people in our community that somebody loves them and is thinking about them. And so, I don't know if you've heard this, but our schools in our city are requiring that students wear masks to school coming up. And we've partnered with a school in our city called SSIS. 
Dr. Sharika Evans is the principal. She is amazing. I hope one day you all get to meet her. Dr. Evans, if you're watching, we love you, we support you, and we're with you. So what we're going to do is this, and I'm asking you to join me in bedrock in this moment. But all of those kids are going to have to wear masks to go to school. Now, this is a tier one, a title one school, which means this. A lot of the kids, not all of them, but a majority of the kids are at or below the poverty line. In fact, as we've had discussions in the past about what they may need to help their students or whatever, things like socks, school supplies, those, those are the words that have come up. And as we were praying about how we can care, I thought about the fact that so many kids might not be able to get a mask to go to school. And so, because we care and because God has so greatly blessed us as a church, we are going to put our care into action. And so, for the next two weeks, would you join me in collecting masks for kids? Right? Because some of these kids, they're not going to eat a meal if they don't go to school. They're not going to be able like to have an adult maybe watching them properly if they're not at school. And we as a church can simply intervene in this moment because of the call of God to help them. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to collect masks. You can go to Target and buy them. You can make them. You, whatever you need to do. But we want to collect over 300 masks to give to the school so that every kid who possibly wants to go to school, that's an elementary school, will have the proper protection that they need to get to school. And so, our love for God should drive us to love others, and I hope that your care has blossomed. And that we'll have this opportunity to encourage those kids because some church called Bedrock in our city doesn't know those kids, but cares enough about them to intervene for them. And so I hope online you'll join me in intervening. I hope we'll all do this to keep those kids safe and to get them to school. But see, joy comes in and enters the situation when we truly begin to show care for one another. And so let me just ask you, are you caring for someone? Let me also encourage you with this. If you need care, if you need someone to reach out to you, please don't sit in the dark and hope that someone shows up. Would you tell us? Sometimes we have needs in our lives that aren't met because we're not expressing them. And we have this weird theology or, or idea that someone's just going to intervene for us and we're just going to stay quiet. But sometimes what unlocks care from other people is the humility to ask for help. And so I don't know where you are right now, but maybe God is telling you tonight is the night that you need to ask for some help. That you need to allow people to care for you and to love you and to help you in this moment because we're not meant to do this life alone. And that's why Paul is so encouraged in this passage because he says, in my darkest moment, God put it in your hearts to give a gift to me, to care for me. And so in my despair, there is light and joy because God is at work and he's using people to care for me. And so I can make it another day. Let's be a church and a people who care. But what really encouraged Paul wasn't the gift that they sent, like the contents. It was the fact that they actually cared. And as you walk through this journey of life and these up and downs come, let me tell you, if you're in great need in a moment of your life, it doesn't matter necessarily what kind of gas someone got you on the side of the road when you're out of gas. All you care about is that someone cared enough to stop to get you gas. I mean, how many of you are gonna be like, what brand? Is that gas? Is it premium? Because the minivan only takes premium. No? Okay, move on. I'll wait for somebody else. Because here's what I know. Contentment is not about the contents. See, 
If we're going to talk about surviving this journey of life with all of its up and downs, what Paul says is the secret to it is contentment. Contentment does not mean complacency. Contentment means that we are in a state of peaceful happiness. That we're in this moment where joy is entering the situation. Paul does not talk about, hey, thanks for sending all that money. Thanks for sending my favorite snacks. Thanks for sending me Sour Patch Kids. No, what Paul is saying is, I was encouraged not because of the content of the gift, but because of the one who gave the gift. That's what brought joy to Paul's soul, that there is this moment that he was in this state of peaceful happiness in the darkest possibly moment of his life because someone cared enough to provide and show care. See, some of us in this room, what's stopping us from caring for others is because we don't think we have the contents necessary to do the job. What I'm here to tell you is bringing happiness and joy and helping people is not necessarily about the contents. It's about the fact that you actually care. So I don't think a kid is going to care about the color of the mask, but will probably feel cared for because they got one. And so let me ask you, church, are we not pursuing and intervening in the lives of other people because we don't think we have the content necessary to really help people? It's never been about the content. It's been about the care. I will tell you, spoiler alert in the message, we have the content too. You just don't realize it yet. Because we're going to see tonight that there's a secret to all of this. And if you know Jesus, you're in on the secret. You're in on the secret. And so what is making you feel unqualified to care for people is not God. It is the enemy who is telling you that you don't have what it takes to care and love for people when God says, I made you to do this very thing, so you got everything you need because God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And if you're part of the church, you're called. And so we as the people of God have everything we need inside of us because of what God has done for us to go and meet the needs of the world. You are able and capable and ready and equipped. And Paul talks about this idea. Listen to what it says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. See, what Paul didn't want them to realize is, is the reason I really love you guys is because you gave me good stuff. Because Paul says, look, I'm not talking about the need here. I'm not talking about the fact that I needed some things. That's not what gave me joy. What gave me joy is the fact that you cared for me. Could you change somebody's life by simply caring? Not that you have all the content but that you care. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation you find yourself in right now, Paul says you can learn to be content. But notice what he says there. He says, I learned to do it. You know, Kelsey and I, when we first started dating, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a great athlete. Uh, but Kelsey is definitely not a great athlete. And um, so it was one of our very first dates uh, in college. And I don't know how we got to this point, but she's like, I've never been to a batting cage. And I was like, oh, okay, let's go. Okay, cool. I'll teach you how to do this. We'll do slow pitch softball, batting cage. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't want to dress this up. Um, Kelsey, I don't know if she hit a ball, okay? But uh, so I knew in the beginning of our relationship that just athletics was not her thing. Kelsey is amazing at many, many, many things. And just before you think I'm throwing her under the bus, I said, Kelsey, can I share this story? I love my wife, okay? But it's a perfect analogy because this happened literally the other morning. I have a lot of weird quirks about me. You'll probably get to know this about me. I basically leave every cabinet open that I walk to. Like, if you want to know where I am, just follow the open cabinets in the home. You'll know where I am. Kelsey does, I also hate people who eat in bed. If you eat in bed, you really need to pray to the Lord because there's some things that he needs to fix in your life, okay? 
if I get in the bed, it's like, it's like daggers on my body if there's a crumb. I'm like, ah, princess in the pea, I'm the prince in the crumb, okay? So look, <laughs> the deal is, is that I have my pet pe- I have my thing, okay? But Kelsey has this one thing, you know, we have the Keurig in the house, and Kelsey really, I don't know why, she always leaves the, the spent cup in the Keurig. So every time I open it, I know, there's a surprise, here's an old cup, all right? And then they get stacked right by the coffee machine. I don't know, because I think those are really hard to carry to the trash, so we wait till we have a large haul, okay? But generally, when I get to the coffee machine in the morning, uh, and I make coffee normally first, I get up a little earlier, but Kelsey will be in the kitchen getting ready, and I'll look at her, and there's like three little things here and one in there. And so I'll turn, and listen, Kelsey couldn't hit slow pitch softball in the batting cage, Okay, and I learned, like, I can't really trust Kelsey if I throw things at her that she's going to catch this thing. But over time, I've learned that Kelsey's really reliable. So I don't, you guys, I wish you could see this. I don't just get him and, like, soft toss him over to Kelsey. I say, heads up, incoming, wham, and I throw the coffee cups, like, whoo, whoo, and Kelsey's like, and she catches every single one of them now. I mean, y'all, that is like progress beyond progress. God can take what was broken and make something new. Can I get an amen? But Kelsey, even the other day, she was like catching these coffee things and was like, can you believe me? And I was like, it's because of years. You've learned to catch this. And you know how she learned? I kept putting her into trial. I'm serious. I know this is funny, but listen. I kept putting Kelsey into moments where she had to learn to catch the coffee little cup because I just zing them, right? I just say, incoming, boom, and I throw it. And she's gotten so incredibly good at dealing with that. Here's how this relates to what I'm saying tonight. Paul says, I've learned to be content in any situation. What he's saying is, is that God has put me into trial and put me into moments where I didn't know how to be content with where I was. But because God put me there, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself in. Maybe God is throwing some Keurig's cups at you and you can't catch right now. And you feel overwhelmed, like you're failing completely. And you're in this part of your journey where the, it's just not working and your joy is leaving. But God's saying, I, I'm gonna, this is gonna keep happening. And I'm going to teach you how to deal with this. And through my power, you will be able to get through this. But i got to put you through some of this so that you'll learn that whatever situation you find yourself in, you can be content. That you can find peaceful happiness. I'm sure when I first started doing that, I never saw Kelsey get mad. But when I was throwing those carry cups, I don't know if she was necessarily joyful. But literally this week, we laughed about it. And actually, like almost belly laughed about the fact that I throw them so fast and that she catches them. There was contentment, this peaceful happiness in our home in that moment. And so maybe I just want to encourage you to realize that Paul, the guy who writes nearly half of the New Testament, had to learn to be content. It wasn't automatic in his life. That as Paul was on this journey in his life, that there were some things going on in his life that he had to learn to be content in. It's not something that just happens to you when you get saved. You have to learn to focus in on the power of God to get you through whatever situation you're in. And so Paul says, look, I'm not speaking about my need. And here's how you know that. Because I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. That doesn't mean you have to love the fact that you're in jail or wherever you are. But you have a peaceful happiness about where you are because you've learned to face trial with God who will get you through. Again, I mean, is that helping somebody tonight? Is somebody in a trial or in a moment in your life where you feel like you're about to drown? That you feel underwater that, that this is too much for me? God's got something for you tonight. And here's what I'm here to tell you, that it's teaching you and molding you and building you into be able to withstand other situations that will be far worse because you will learn to rely on him. That's why we can say what God, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Because he's producing in you something peculiar. 
That's why we can hold tight to the promise of Romans 8.28. That all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. It doesn't mean all things are good. It means it's going to turn out for good. And so, are you there? Are you in this moment of your life where, where God is working on you? But see, if Kelsey and I stayed on that first date level, I would not trust her, nor would her ability be where it is today if we didn't go through some trial. Some of y'all are staying on the first date with God forever because you're afraid of being disappointed that he won't pull through when you need him most. And God says, the reason you're afraid is because we haven't gotten past the first date and I haven't been able to show you what I'm able to do yet because you won't even trust me and you won't let go of the reins of your life and so you're suffering and you're drowning and I'm waiting here to help save you, but you need to humble yourself and reach up. And you say, I, I'm not content. I don't feel happiness. I don't feel joy. I don't feel any of these things. And God says, because you and I got to get to know each other better. I mean, God fully knows you, but are you pursuing and getting to know him? You got to move beyond the basics because life gets beyond the basics. And so where are you in your relationship with God? See, Paul learned that part of being content was the ability to detach yourself from the outward circumstance and rely on what is inside. So Paul says, like, you're great, your gift is great, I'm not trying to sound unthankful, but the reason that I'm so joyful and happy for you is not because of what you sent me, but because of who you are. So let me ask you a question. Are you finding more joy and peace in the gift that you've been given or the one who gave it? Because let me tell you something. If it's in the gift, they go away. The gifts are not meant to sustain you. Some of our relationships in this room with God are built on the gifts that he's given us and not on him. The gifts are meant to help you and get you through moments, but not for you to stand on forever. You are meant to move beyond those things and move into a relationship with him. In whatever situation, Paul says, this is what we are to do. Because here's the secret to contentment in the journey. When you're out of gas and all of these things are going on or you're, you know, you're arriving early, whatever it is. Contentment, there's a secret to it. Because the secret is that it's not about what, it's about who. The secret is not about what. It's about who. I don't know where you are in your life, but are you seeking what God can give you or are you seeking the fact that God could do it? Are you seeking him, not the gift? Where are you in your life? You're wondering why possibly there's no joy in your salvation, why you're suffering so much and why you're not content and why you feel anxious and fearful and doubtful. I mean, even as we deal with the last part of this verse, I almost thought, man, I need to preach this differently. I need to do this differently. And then I thought, no, that's not believing in who God says he is in his word. I just need to say what he says. See, the secret is not about in what, but who. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. That means humbled, low. And I know how to abound. I know how to do incredible things in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger abundance and need here it is guys the most famous verse ever your tattoo philippians 4 13 i can do all things through him who strengthens me see the secret is him the secret is not that i'm really good at suffering and i'm really good at abounding and i'm really good at not eating for 20 days, and then I'm really great at eating 20 hamburgers. Like, he's not saying, like, man, you're really good at living in the extremes. What Paul is saying is, you want to know the secret about how I can be joyful, not in your gift, but in the fact that you cared for me, and I can be joyful in jail for Jesus? In the lowest moments that I am facing, here's a secret. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I can do and how great I am. It's about what he can do and all of the things that he can get us through. See, so many of us try 
to work out these things in our own ability. Like, if you're without something, right, be made low to be humbled. Our response, if you're like me, is panic. And to start to work and, and finagle my way and weave my way and, and manipulate things into my favor so that I am no longer without. Or the other thing, and I think this is what is happening to most of us. To protect ourselves from the discipline of being in a low place, we grow apathetic. We just stop caring. We think that if I just don't care, it doesn't hurt anymore. And if it doesn't hurt anymore, I can get through this. Does that sound like peaceful happiness? Let me ask you, what are you using to not care about the trials in your life? What are you using right now to just go completely apathetic to the hard thing that's going on? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it pornography? Is it relationships? Is it words of affirmation from other people? Is it finding your purpose in what you do? Is it finding the fact that you, you're earning your way? You, you read so much of your Bible, God's surely got to be pleased with you. What is it that you're using to numb yourself to the pain of what's going on rather than facing it with God so that you can grow from the moment. Paul says, I've learned what it's like to be without. I've learned what it's like. But Paul, when you read his letters, does not grow apathetic or numb to the suffering in life. Many times Paul says, I was stricken with tears. I was stricken with sorrow. I was beaten. I was bruised. I, he's almost stoned to death. Paul did not run away from the feeling that hurt. What he did instead is instead of running away from the feeling, he ran to the one who could give him comfort and contentment in the storm. So many of us are running. But in your running, what you're doing is you're growing in bondage to that feeling because you're avoiding it. Let me ask you, all of you who've run, prodigals, the problems of the prodigal followed him all the way to the pig pen. Your problems will not disappear on their own. They're going to follow you. Whatever's making you uncomfortable right now, whatever's a low moment for you right now, if you run, it's like a bully. It's not going anywhere. It's going to follow you. The thing to do is to turn and face it. But you don't face it alone. You face it with him. We talked about this last week. He's already won the battle. And he's already defeated the enemy who's against us. Because the enemy of our soul is his enemy as well. And he's already overcome it. See, when you're faced with this moment of without and you're in despair, you aren't relying on yourself. You're relying on his victory. But you can't win the victory or walk in it if you're always running away from it. What are you running away from right now using to numb yourself to the situation that is owning your soul? But see, Paul says something else, and I found it so interesting here. Paul says, I've learned to do without, but I've also learned to do with a lot. Did you know, I mean, just listen to this, how peculiar, because we're not meant always to live on these low bounds and this, these high mountaintops. 78% of NFL players will be bankrupt two years after their retirement. That number slightly gets better for NBA. Uh, it's like 65%. Now, they don't even start to talk about like within five years. But they're abounding, right? They got these huge contracts. They got all of these things. See, here's the deal. You can suffer and you can have just as many problems when you're up here as you are when you're down here. See, some of you are counting on the fact that if I just had this money, if I just had this spouse, if I just had this house, if I just had this car, if I was just abounding, if I was prettier, if I weighed this much, if my hair looked like that, if I wore this type of watch, if I had this type of clothes, if the symbol on my computer was this symbol, if we had this type of machine, if we had this, then I would be abounding and I'd be okay. What Paul says is, guess what, guys? You've got to learn to be content at the beginning. You ever heard, read the story, if you give a mouse a cookie? What is it? If you give a mouse a cookie, 
he's going to want a glass of milk. Sometimes abounding looks a lot like if you get a cookie, you're going to want something else. Because here's the reality. Things without souls are never meant to satisfy things with souls. And so some of you think the things that don't have souls in your life are going to satisfy you the way only God can. And so when you abound, you're going to get bored, and then you're going to have to go to something else. This is how people who try a drug become addicts. Right? Because the one time it was great, but I need it again, and I need more, and I need more, and I need more, and I need more. So let me ask you this. What are you addicted to in your abounding to get you through the moment that's wearing off because it's not meant to really satisfy you? Because that is just as much bondage as it is at the low point. And Paul says he learned to be content, to have peaceful happiness in the low place and in the high place. And some of us in this room just believe, like, if I just get there, I'll be okay. And what Paul says, unless Jesus is there, you're not going to be okay. Because that same thing you thought was going to save you is the same thing that's going to consume you. And so Paul says the secret in all of it is that through Christ, I can face any situation. That doesn't mean that through Christ, I can become the best drug dealer in the world. Right? Through Christ, I can bench press 350 pounds because he's going to give me the strength like he gave Samson. That's not what this verse means. It's so much better than you being able to bench press something. What Paul is saying is, is God will get you through your darkest moment. That God will get you through your highest moments. That what Paul is saying is, is it don't cheapen what God is doing here by making it trivial of these little things in life that aren't going to satisfy you. What Paul is saying is God is so much bigger that in my best moment and in my worst moment, God will get me through. And some of us in this room need to hear that. That in your darkest moment and in your best moment, God can get you through. Because we don't really care about the gift. We care about the one who gave it. But see, so much of us, as we get ready to wrap up, is this. So much of what we do is God doesn't just leave us here in this moment. See, contentment is, is that you're going to be at a peaceful happiness in the situation that you're in right now. And some of you say, yeah, but I, I still have some need. I mean, I can be peaceful and I can trust in what God is going to do. But... He's going to do, he will provide. Kelsey and I, we were, we were just starting to plant the church. And it was like our first year here. And there was this situation where, I, I don't know if you know this, when I left Liberty to come down here, I was teaching at Liberty, I worked full time at the university. My income cut by three quarters to come here. I had three kids, we had a house, we had all this great whatever. And then we had to move into my parents' house. We had to spend time down here. And there's this one day that um, I went to pay for school. So I moved some money from our savings to pay for, uh, I'm finishing my doctorate. And Kelsey thought I moved that money over to pay all these bills. So what happened? We overdrew our account. I got a text message on my phone from Bank of America that said, you're $225 overdrawn. And I was like, Kelsey, we got robbed. Our identity's been stolen. And she looked, and she looked into that moment. And in a low moment, we were $225 in the negative. So I moved some more money over from savings, and I began to, to try to solve the problem myself. I don't know if you've ever been there. You ever try to solve the problem yourself? And I remember I went to a meeting that day, and I was mad angry at myself, like, stupid, you just got to talk to your wife, idiot, right? It was my fault. But I put us in a bind because of my lack of communication with my wife. And I just, I remember thinking, I was on my way to a meeting to talk about church, planting this church. And I said, God, why this? Like, you brought us all the way down here for me to lose three quarters of my income, for us to move into my parents' house, for us to not have the independence. Some of the people who are going to help us in the beginning left. And I just thought, like, this sucks. Sorry, parents, I don't know if you are allowed to use that, but it was worse than that word. I was angry and disappointed. 
I don't know if you've ever been there. The journey, we were at a low point. We were out of gas. We actually had like borrowed gas and then we owed someone else gas. Like that's the kind of part of the journey we were on. And so Kelsey texts me and she had just done these pictures for these restaurants. And she said, hey, the guy who I did the pictures for for the restaurants just texted me and he needs to talk to us. Something, something's up. And I was like, oh, when it rains, it pours, God. Like, thanks a lot, God. Here I am. We're already in the hole. And now I'm probably going to go more into the hole because of what happened. Like, where are you? Like, I'm here. I'm planting a church in your name to reach your city, to reach your people. Could you just show up? Where are you in this moment? And Kelsey texted me, and I was like cramming the phone. I'll talk to you after this. Oh, this is so good. Don't miss this moment. Because when my soul was weak and I was underwater and I was in discontentment and my soul felt like this was all for nothing and I was in doubt and I was in fear, when I called Kelsey after that meeting, she said, you won't believe what just happened. He called me and he said he undercharged us for the three restaurants that I shot pictures for by $75. And so we need to re-send him a new invoice for the difference in the amount. And I don't know if you're a math whiz. If you're not, I'm going to help you. 75 times 3 is $225, which was almost the exact amount that we were overdrawn in our account. And God says, see, I've been here the whole time. You just needed to learn a lesson that it's not about the gift, it's about me. And you gotta believe in me for this moment. And you gotta believe that in the valley, I'm gonna be right there with you and I'm gonna get you through it. See, the Philippians, as we continue just finishing this verse, they gave in their time of need when they had nothing. And this isn't a prosperity gospel, but this is the gospel, this is the God that we believe in. Listen to what it says in verse 19. So they've given this gift to Paul in their moment of deepest need, my deepest need. I had nothing left to give. We were already in financial issues, and yet here we are. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We don't just have a God who wants you to be content. We have a God who's going to provide your every need. And so that's why you can be content. Because when you're in the valley or you're at the mountaintop, no matter where it is, we can get through it because of what he's done. Because he is our provision. And so wherever you are, financial distress, where, what, you're hungry, you don't know where the food's going to come from, you've got financial issues, you've got, you've got relationship issues, I don't know whatever situation you're in, he's so much better because he will be your strength to get through it because he is our provision. And so I don't know where your soul is right now. If you're like me that day, where it's like, where are you now? In this moment in coronavirus, in the election, and in all of what's going on right now, God has not left the building. But sometimes we got to get to the valley and humble ourselves and say, I need you to show up. And God says, I'm already here. I never left. And my strength will get you through because I am your provision. And so you and I can enjoy the ride no matter what happens in between because he's with you while you're on the ride. He's with you in the midst of your moment, whatever it is. See, the best way for you and I to enjoy the journey is you got to know the final destination, but it doesn't mean you got to rush to get there. And the only way that I know of for sure to know the final destination of where you'll be is to believe in Jesus. That he is our provision. That for all of us, we're born in a valley. We're born indebted to sin. That we have this sin problem, all of us. And that Jesus came to this earth 
to live the life that you and I should live, to die the death we should have died. And he rose again to show that he had paid that debt, that he had taken care of that thing called sin in our lives. And the only way to know the end of the road, to enjoy the journey, that the future is secure, is to believe in what he did. But see, some of us are hating the journey of life right now because we don't have confidence in where we're going. And so for you, if that's you, God is calling you home. God is calling you to him. God is calling you to believe and to trust in him and him alone. But for some of us, yes, we know the final destination. We've just forgotten about it. That no matter what, come hell or high water, your provision is in Christ who lived and died for you. And so that's why in whatever circumstance you find yourself, you can be content because of his strength. Don't cheapen it to like you can lift 500 pounds. He's so much better than that. Because you're not, like 500 pounds is nothing compared to some of the problems that we're facing in this room. He's bigger. He's able. He's willing. And he's ready. Are you? With every eye closed and head bowed, we're just going to take a moment because we want you to respond to whatever God is telling you to do right now.